0: Glory, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. God, we ask you to bless the Zion worshipers. To continue endow them with the strength and the fortitude, agility, to worship you in spirit and truth. And God, forgive and convict us who sit as if we're being entertained and not entering in and taking advantage of the opportunity as you have given them by your spirit the ability to bring us in to your presence father let us not be the church as usual and come out and be who you died for us to be lord we want things but we're not willing to humble ourselves in your presence where that's when we will receive all that we are seeking and that we need thank you Lord Jesus thank you Father thank you Jesus thank you Lord thank you Audrey that was a very on time inspirational message. I, I, I think the worship leaders and all of those who've come together to remind us to be grateful and thankful unto God for living in a free country. That's part of worship. Also to, re, to remind us that some of these struggles are to bless us. If we get our mind off of ourselves the struggle will not last as long. It will begin to cease because all it's there is to work out what's in us so God can put in us what he would have us to have in order to do what he's called us to do because we can't serve him and do what we need to do for him in our flesh. It has to be in spirit and in truth. So God, I'm, I'm thankful that how you've raised up saints who are in tune to your spirit and when they come on the Sabbath they come to do your will and not to perform. Hallelujah Jesus. Glory to his precious holy name. Thank you Father. Thank you. Well glory. So what I'm going to be doing is we're gonna have, I don't know if I'm gonna call it a teaching or a gathering of the minds over this book and it's called The Unsaved Christian, okay? So before I get into it, the Lord gave me an opening prayer. Heavenly Father, as your body the Church we stand fast in the liberty which Jesus has made us free, no longer entangled with the yoke of bondage. We praise you, Lord, for not for us not being debtors to the Law, but having hearts circumcised to the law of life in Christ and saved by grace. Our confidence is in the blood of Jesus and the cross of Jesus, Christ, which gives us the liberty to declare the truth we live by. For we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Walking in the spirit, for no longer fulfilling the lust of our flesh, the lust of our minds, and the lust of our eyes, but choosing to walk in and exemplify and manifest the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And God, I ask you to continue to show and reveal to me the things you want me to see, so when I speak, Master, will be only those things you want me to say. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, to kind of get started on this, before I actually get into the book, I want you to open your your Bibles to Matthew 16, and something that the Lord gave me to um, solidify this book. Matthew 16, and um, I'm going to read from uh, verses 13 through 19. Are we there? 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Eliza, Eliza, and others Jeremias, or one of the... He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, "Blessed art thou, Simon, by Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, Thou, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth should be loose in heaven. Okay. Now that was some scripture verses that you needed to be shouting on. Help us, Holy Ghost. Okay, I'm going to go back and and we're gonna talk about those scriptures before I get in this book. Because we need to understand the authority that's been left for us. Amen? Amen. So, in verse 13, um, what we need to understand that Jesus was 30 miles north of the Sea of Galilee when it says he came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. Okay. And he asked a question This question required an answer that was so important it hinged it on the salvation of mankind. Okay? And so he wanted to know, did they know who they were and whose they were? It's the same question we, the body of Christ, need to be asking ourselves today. Okay? And then, in in, 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 in 14, the answer that was given was something that came from their natural heart. Hear what I'm saying? Not from the spirit of their heart, from the natural man, okay? Because what did they say? Some said that you were John the Baptist, the prophets, and some of the other prophets. So they didn't have a clue who Jesus was, though they had been walking with him. And he had been doing ministry. Okay? So, so then what did Jesus do? He turned to the 12 disciples, the main, the main posse. <laughs> he turned to the pastors, preachers, apostles, prophets. Prophets pastors, teachers, prophets, apostles, who he expected to know and asked the question, but who do you say that I am? Since you are so educated, called, anointed, and appointed, who do you say that I am? But only one person was able to speak up. The same person who had denied him earlier, is just like what Audrey said. He had to go through some hell so he can find out who he is. Amen. And who he was serving so he had the proper answer. And so Simon Peter answers him and he says, you are the Christ. The anointed sent one, the Messiah, the son of our living God. Glory, hallelujah, Jesus. So then Jesus replies to him and said, Bless are you, Simon (laughs) Barjona. For flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. It only came from my father who art in heaven which was the great confession that our salvation is based on. Not the people you know, not the name of the church you go to, not how you think the church got it going on or not, but your salvation is based on knowing who Jesus is how he began, where he came from, and how it's going to affect your life eternally. Amen? Amen? This is why Jesus changes his name from Simon to Peter, because his response responded was to let him know and everyone else know, I am a piece of the rock that stands on the rock. He had revelation that could only come from the Holy Spirit. Like I told you on Wednesday, you're not saved because you woke up one day and decided to make a good decision. You are saved because the spirit of the living God pulled on you and drew you in and somebody prayed yes. that you were here at the right appropriate time yes. and declare and speak yes. yeah. Amen. what had been revealed into your spirit. Amen. <coughs> Amen? Amen? And so Jesus says, Bless art thou, Simon Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, But my Father, which is in heaven, therefore I say unto you, you art Peter. I'm going to change your name. See, we were birth-given names, one thing. But when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he changed our names. And we became the Redeemed, the Beloved, the Righteous One glory. So you're not who your mama and your daddy called you. You've been born again. You've been given a new name that declares your newness and your purpose. But what you need to do is stop focusing on that natural name and get into who you've been called and chosen to be so you can get in line and get in order and come up out of that mess, come up out of the struggles, come up out of the strongholds, come up out of that sick, thinking that keeps you from rising up and being who God called you to be so you can be the overcomer. He says, I have already overcome and you overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. Is your testimony rehearsing the hell that caused you to become naturally who you are all the time? Or do you have a new testimony that says it's over, it's finished, it's a new thing. I'm beginning a new walk. I'm gonna stop looking at the past. Stop looking at the stuff that caused me to be in the jam I'm in right now. Cause I know a man and his name is Jesus who can pull me out of any situation, every given situation. Stop letting people take you back. No, better yet, you do more damage to yourself than other people. You stop going back, rehearsing what has happened. So it happened. Did you ask God why? So you can learn from it? Now what you need to focus on, but is over. I got over. Now I have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive what the Spirit of the Lord is trying to tell me now. Now, let me tell you, Jesus was telling him the revelation that you receive from my Father is what salvation is all about. This is salvation. Amen. And so, this is the rock of information that will save humanity. And we are blessed to live in a country where you can freely worship your savior. Amen. 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 So 18 he says, I say unto thee that thou art Peter. Thou art a stone, just a fragment of the rock. And in that rock, that's where the redeem is built up. And that's the strong foundation of your salvation. We are the church, or should be the church, that Jesus built that can cause you to die to your flesh. And that's what you need to do. Die to your flesh so that you can live in Christ because the power of his death will cause you to prevail against the sin. Amen. But we don't, we, you don't know that, you don't receive that. Because you, you wouldn't keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. Is, isn't that supposed to be a sign of insanity? Well then pray and ask God to bring you back your, your sanity, bring you out of insanity. I am on a mission to speak only the truth. Amen. So I'm not impressed anymore about how many come and how many go. Cause I want to reap eternal life. So I'm not playing no games and I'm not up here to impress, amen? So the rock of salvation is knowing that you come to know the revealed Jesus that God shows you in your spirit, not the performance, okay? That is the rock of information that the church is built upon. And Jesus says in 18, and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. The gates of hell do not have the power to come against the truth that Jesus established and and how he won over the victory over death and with the cross. The gates of hell cannot stop that, cannot prevent that, cannot change that. So why do we teach, preach, and perform everything else but that truth? Why don't we major on the power that can bring the change? And then Jesus went in even further, and he says, "I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The keys." I'm going to give you the keys that's going to unlock yes. heaven yes. and bring heaven down here on earth. Amen. Okay? Yes. All right. He says, and, and, and with these keys, whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Let me tell y'all something. That statement, that verse is greater than you just saying, I bind you. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, he is the living word. When you truly receive him and understand him, then you begin to speak his language, which is the word. And when you speak his language, then you automatically begin to walk in the language and when you walk in the language, oh, the shoes please, when you walk in the language, then you become the walking epistle that you're supposed to be, So that you are overcoming. He said you overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. Your testimony, I want to tell y'all something. Help me, Holy Ghost, because I know I'm upsetting some folks. But your testimony is not about all the hell somebody has done to you and where you are right now. Your testimony is how you were able to overcome by the blood by the blood, by the blood. Not rehearsing the hell that's been done to you over and over and over and over again. It's that I used to be, but now. I once was blind, but now I see. We cannot be the church acting like the world. The world don't have power over the kingdom of heaven. The world don't have power over our Father who art in heaven. But he gave us the key from heaven to unlock the hell that's down here to keep it from pressing against you. So what, what, what does it mean what you bind on earth? It means... Whatever situation that is a problem, you begin to pray God's word over it, and it stops it, it prevents it, yeah. <laughs> it annihilates it. Not you're talking about, I bind you. No, no, you don't have to say it. The Bible says it when you speak it. So you look for what scripture in the Bible that fit the situation that you're facing, reading or hearing about, and then you begin to speak that word over and over and over and over again because you can. Amen. And watch God work at the at the situation and chisel it and break it down. Okay. What did it mean? It said it loose. It means when you speak God's word, then heaven opens up and says, okay, this is what I need to do. And so then God sends down the angels, the Holy Spirit. He starts things working for you. And that means you're, you've you opened up their, up their way to come down and do what they need to do. Because I don't know whether y'all know it or not, but spiritual warfare has boundaries and rules. And they don't just operate because you open up your eyes this morning. They operate because you know the principles of it and the precepts of it and you know how to loose it by speaking the word, the appropriate word at the appropriate time so God can get busy and do it. And your faith gives power to it because you believe, you believe, and because you believe, it gives power to that weapon, to that weapon. The Bible is like a two-edged sword. So it gives faith to that weapon. And what is that weapon doing? As it is destroying what it's supposed to destroy, it's also fixing you. It's improving because it's cutting both ways. So it's improving you in order for your faith to elevate and come up from down here and reach heaven. Okay, that's the introduction. Because the title of this series is the name of the book. Part one. The unsaved Christian, and the author of this book, now, I'm, I'm, there's no, I'm not putting any, um, what you call it, demands on you to get the book, you can get it at your own will. But the author of this book is called Dean and Serrera. Um, I'm gonna read s- some things about him. I suggest it would be a whole lot easier if you, <clears throat> you had the book so that you can follow along with me, because we're really going to do like a, uh, what you call it, uh, a lesson, and I'm just going to read the book, and we're going to discuss it, amen, amen. amen. and the reason why I, because I, this is the first time I've done this in a message, I, sometimes I have seminars on things like this, but because I believe this is a message that the whole body of Christ needs to hear, it's not for people, private people who are committed enough to come out to the seminar. So I'm going to take advantage of, of the pulpit time on the Sabbath to, to uh, get it out. And the reason why I'm so impressed with this book because this book has confirmed what God has revealed to me for some time and I'm like thank you Jesus. <laughs> so it just gives me the courage to really go for it right now. Okay. <laughs> so um, the author of this book is, is, uh, is a graduate of Liberty University and holds an M.A. in Theological Studies from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He is pursuing a a, a, a divinity and ministry from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and is the founding pastor of City Church in Tallahassee, Florida. He also serves as an advisory member of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission's Leadership Council with the Southern Baptist Convention. Dean and his wife have two sons and a daughter. Now, I read this because you're gonna hear some controversial things in here, and I just wanted to let you know where this this man's background, okay, besides the Holy Spirit that uh, is leading him into, uh, into this book, amen? so okay um let me just say this he has 15 chapters in this book and and the conclusion is why you really need the conclusion this book because in the conclusion it gives you a chance to to check out and see how do you know that you are not a what he's going to major on a culture Christian okay so I'm just going to uh, read off these chapters to you to give you some idea about th- this book because I don't know if I'm going to get through this whole book this way, but I'm going to start out until the Lord tell me, okay, stop. And, and, it, and, and I don't know how far I'm going to get as far as saying I'm going to do chapters or I'm going to do a chapter or part of a chapter. And they're not long because this book is only, it ain't even 200 pages it's not even 200 pages, so it's, it's it's not like it's it's long and it's so heavy and deep. Well, it is so large, it is deep. Okay, so um, the, the chapter one says, "Help them get lost." The case for reaching cultural Christians. So you can't you can't reach anybody and save them if they don't know they're lost. Chapter two, religion without salvation. Characteristics of Cultural Christianity. Chapter three, Civic Religion. Generic faith that demands and asks nothing of its followers. Chapter four, Bridging the Gap. Challenging Culture Christian Beliefs. Chapter five, Overcoming Obstacles. Barriers to Reaching Culture Christians you're gonna have some bare oh, I identify that you're gonna have some problems reaching culture Christians. Chapter six, false assurance. Once saved, always Save. Chapter seven, the country club church. How lax church memberships fosters culture Christianity. Chapter eight, Christmas and Easter. Moving beyond culture observance to the life-changing implication. Like, do you really know what those days mean? Other than you just showing up on those days dressed up. Chapter 9, making decisions versus making disciples. Why raised hands and sinners' prayers don't guarantee salvation? Ah, chapter 10, God shed his grace on thee partisans, politics, and prosperity. Can't wait till we get to that one. Chapter 11, the moral theists, reaching the good person who believes in God. Oh, now that's another one I can't wait to get to. They believe in God and they think they saved and they, and they go to church and they're faithful and they work and they think they're saved. Ooh, okay. Um, chapter 12, Hail Mary. Notre Dame wins, reaching generational Catholics. Chapter 13, the watered-down word, reaching mainline Protestants. Chapter 14, faith, family, and football, ministering to the Bible belt. Chapter 15, the harvest is plentiful, challenging cultural Christianity with courage and love. And then I told you about the conclusion, okay? Are y'all ready? Are y'all interested? Yes. Good, because you're going to get it anyway. (laughs) I am excited. You all may not be as excited as I am, but I am. And you may, especially if you're some of them traditional Christians and you fit under some of those titles, you may have a hard time about what we're about to get ready to do. But I admonish you, if you're really sincere about your walk with Christ, be patient, wait on the Lord, Amen. and He will save you. The preference. This book is for pastors, church leaders, and Christian living on missions. In the pages of this book, you will find a comprehensive overview of cultural Christianity. And this is what he's talking about: cultural Christianity. And learn how Christians can spot and counter it with truth. America is a land of an over and under-reach. And churches must understand that everything from church membership criteria, holiday services, vacation Bible school, and other typical American church programming can either foster cultural Christianity or cripple it. Throughout this book, we'll come back to the simple principle that gospel clarity is the antidote to the rampant confusion. The gospel shows that God makes the demands, meets them in Christ, and then calls calls people to trust in him and follow him. That's what the gospel will do. For the purposes of this book, I will consider people in terms of general groupings. Through this, not to imply that real individual people can be reached by a one-size-fits-all method or formula. The groupings in this book, generational Catholics, God and Country Christians, etc., exist primarily to illustrate common ways people may face, may place faith in a false gospel, and still identify themselves as Christians. And let me read that again. The groupings in this book, generational Catholics, God and Country Christians, and etc exists primarily to illustrate common ways people may place faith in a false gospel and still identify themselves as Christians. As the focus of this book is cultural Christianity, I will primarily focus on those who think they are fine with God because they have familiarity with Christian things. Further, the primary objective of this book is to call Christians to action especially church leaders who may realize that they have inadvertently allowed cultural Christianity to go unchallenged in their churches. I am of course in complete need of God's grace in all areas of my life. We all have propensity to be attractive to lesser versions of the gospel. May this book point us to Jesus Christ so we can remain humble and wise. None of what follows is, follows is intended to disparage, falsely assure believers, but rather to expose the great mission field before us and caution fellow Christians to get serious about the gospel and proclaim the good news unapologetically. It truly is the power of God for salvation for all who would believe. Now, I'm, I'm, <clears throat> I'm gonna read this. I asked them to pass this out to you all. now. The bottom, one of the major bottom lines that I'm coming out with that uh, your, your church attendance is not about you. And that's where we cultural Christians are having a problem because we come and critique to see how it's going to work for me. You come to God in church to see what you can do for God. I heard a minister um, the day before yesterday to say something that really blessed me and, and, and opened me up more to accept and believe what I feel God is having put in my spirit and I remember <clears throat> that when I got when I, I i I got born again, I grew up in the Catholic church and was raised by a Baptist mom <laughs> so i went to I went to Baptist Church, but I went to Catholic Church because back in those days. What you you had to go to mass before you go to school, so I was propaganded into Catholicism without even being aware of it and without having any control over it, okay but I was not convinced that's why I willingly went to church with my mother to the to, to the Baptist church okay but uh I had I've always had some opinions and theories that really didn't line up only to find out they do line up with the bible they just don't line up with people okay so like like i said so when i when when jan uh, brought this book to my attention and and it had to be the lord i'm on vacation for just 2 weeks and she has this book sent to me in florida but of course uh, all I did was kind of like skim through it to see if this is something I really want to deal with. I didn't try to read it then because I was there to vacate. <laughs> but I saw enough to say, oh, yeah, I can't wait to get home and get into this book, okay? And and and, and, and in doing doing so, I, I, I just became so aware of so much stuff that it's just, mind blowing. And and, and and one of the major things is is that we are so selfish and so prideful that we think that church is supposed to be all about us. And when we come and go, we're looking for how it's going to bless us. Well when when after I had gotten radically born again and have my experiences through non denominational churches, but my husband comes up through A.M.E., we joined a A.M.E. church in um, Inkster. It was in Inkster, Ecorse, Inkster, and um, and we were both extremely active in the church. So that meant we were traveling distances. We we're in Detroit all, all the time. Well, it wasn't my choice, but okay, I'm going along for a piece of the family. And then one day. Praise the Lord. He says, this is just too much traveling. We need to find a church closer by. And I'm thinking, okay, God, this is my opportunity. Thank you. I get to get out of this denomination. And so I says, okay, well, let's not just join anywhere. Let's just go uh, smog is boring. And let's just go look and search out for for some churches. So in the meantime, because I know he is steeped in that, when you grow up in something, you don't even know why you're in it. But it's a pattern, and it's a tradition, okay? So I says, okay, God, um, you lead us to a church through my husband, and I promise I will follow, and and I will obey, okay? But make sure that it's it's a church that teaches the Bible and it's a family church and where we can be a blessing to others in the church that was not my natural understanding do y'all hear what I'm saying that had to come from the Holy Spirit because that's what this is what this man is bringing out that's what God wants he wants you to find a church where you're going to be an asset to the church and in the process you do get blessed you are helped. You are improved. You can't teach and preach and not grow. You don't come up preaching and teaching because you got it all. you just been called and chosen to do it, and in the process, you grow just like everybody else grow. So, okay, I'm going to go through this paper. I don't know if we're going to even get to uh, Chapter 1 or, or not, but I'm going go to th- go through this paper. Holy Ghost. Open up the eyes of your children. Don't let them be narrow-minded any longer, prejudiced any longer, or egotistic any longer. Make a change in us. It's time out playing church. We are the church. It's not the special locations. We are the church. Cause us to rise up fit the position and let the kingdom of heaven fall down here on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, you got your papers? Okay, the, the type of Christian, country club Christian, which is found in chapter 7. Okay, uh, y'all got those papers you can, you can read along with in, the, in the paper. Profile of that person is self-focused, not missional, Church just happens to be the social club of their preference. Now, mistakes that uh, true gospel for. They make mistakes of that kind of faith for the true gospel and this is the result. Comfort, avoiding messy things like visible sin and sinners. Now the gospel I mean, I'm sorry, conversation starting point. These are the questions that you need to ask that type of a Christian. What is the point of the church? What is the point of church membership? What mission has Jesus given to everyone who believes in him? Now the gospel remedy slash challenges. Great commission, this is the remedy. And I'm not gonna read those, you can see them, the scripture verses. Beauty of the church, unity of the saints. Jesus' primary call to us is to repent, put faith in him, and tell the world who he is and what he's done. There is no bench for, for true followers of Christ. Okay, another type of Christian that you're gonna find in chapter eight, Christmas and Easter Christians. Their profile is, holds the Christian holidays close with sentimentality by the implications of these holidays seem to have little impact on daily life. (laughs) And the, uh, the mistake's true gospel for observing those holidays being sentimental and traditional. The questions that need to be asked, why does it matter that Jesus was born of a virgin? These are questions that would make them think beyond commonality. What does it matter that he has rose from the grave? Why do you love Christians, I mean, I'm sorry, why do you love Christmas and Easter so much? What makes them special? The gospel challenge? All of scripture points to Jesus, the only son of God, and the ever-sufficient sacrifice for our sins who overcame the grave and enabled us to be reconciled to God now and forever. Are you all getting anything out of this thus far? Uh, Another type of Christian is God and country Christian, which is in chapter 10. The profile is, is proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free, digests everything first as an American or member of a certain political party, not as a believer, and have blinders on to what really matters. Mistake true gospel for being American and voting values. The question you need to ask, who is we? What is the mission of the church? How would you justify or, ex- or explain your faith to someone from a different country or even someone from a different economic tier? Now, the remedy. Corrected sense of identity. There is now no slave or free, no Jew or Gentile. Our citizenship is in heaven. It is not about America. It is about the chosen people of God. We just happen to be blessed to live in a country that was founded on biblical principles that has been strayed. Okay, another type is a liberal social justice Christian. This is found in uh, chapter 10 as well. Feel strongly about specific social justice issues Compromises biblical teachings in light of cultural whims. Believes that politicians and legislation can fix the world. Not only is that a liberal social justice Christian, that's a blind Christian. The gospel to them is advocating social or political causes. And the uh, questions that need to be asked is, who or what can save us from our sins? Do you believe we even need a savior? Who or what is the ultimate authority for what is true? And the remedy is, point to the Bible as fully authoritative in the narrative. God God and his word should be, in other words, free from any error. God and his word should be our source of authority. There are no errors in the Bible. Not cultural whims, compromising biblical teaching is favor of culture, or tolerance is not loving. Another type is a moralistic therapeutic deist, good God next door, It's found in chapter 11. Their profile is they believe God wants people to be good and kind to each other as taught in most world religions. Jesus just so happened to be the mascot, but the Pacific of Christianity aren't really relevant. If, you, if y'all, I don't know if you know it, but there's times when Jesus got angry and got folks straight, okay? The mistakes, <clears throat> mistakes for true gospel is behavior, civility, removal of guilt through trying to be a good person. We cannot be good, there's none good but the Father. And the only way that you can be good is that you go to Jesus and depend on the Holy Spirit fixing you. Gospel conversation starting point. Who is God? Are people generally good or generally bad? Is heaven real? If so, who goes there? How good is good enough? Now, uh, the challenge, gospel challenge, is the Bible teaches that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that God is the only God that his mission is to make us holy, not happy. Cause I am so sick of hearing Christians talk about they're unhappy. Join the club, but get Jesus and joy will override happiness. If we could be good enough, Christ died for nothing. In other words, if you could be good on your own, what would be the purpose of Christ's death, okay? Another type of Christian is the generational Catholic. That's in chapter 12. Generally either views Catholicism as a heritage or carries significant guilt to be loyal to its tenets. And their gospel is religion slash rites of passage. <laughs> um, when we joined, because um, when I made that confession to God, we ended up joining joining uh, Hope United Methodist Church, and because I was not familiar with, with what they believe or whatever, I really did an in-depth study on it to make sure that I was at least not in a cult. I wasn't where I wanted to be, but at least I'm not in a cult. Okay, so it's possible I can grow. But So anyway, I discovered because they recited uh, um, uh, the uh, uh, contrition, which is recited in the Catholic Church, and it says I believe in the Catholic Church, the Holy Catholic Church, Da da da. Well, the good news was by me doing the study, I found that the word Catholic there meant universal, not Catholic religion. So then I could say that prayer (laughs) without feeling like, "Mm mm-mm. So in in that uh, prayer, it meant universal church, so the church overall, okay? Now, the questions that you need to ask, do you feel like you owe God something? If you you have to pay for your sins later, what did Jesus die? What does his death mean for you? And the Remedy Gospel is, Jesus' sacrifice was all sufficient. There is nothing left for us to pay. Praise the Lord. It is finished, and he holds us. Glory. Now, uh, uh, the mainline Protestant That's probably most of us. It's found in chapter 13. The profile is generally believes vague things about the Bible, but is prone to discard it in favor of their pressing beliefs of the day or feelings. Because we can take our feelings and try to line it up with God, and it doesn't even exist in the Bible that way. Okay? Love's... Proclaim God's love in, in, in terms of license to seek comfort. That, I mean, when I say mainline Protestant, that's most of us. Because it's what what can God do to make me feel good and how can he provide for me to make me happy and all of that. That is not why we are Christians. That is a byproduct or a bonus or how, how you want to see it as a result of obeying God and walking in faith. Okay. Mistakes, um, true gospel, a, Christ, a Christianity without Christ, <laughs> a Bible that isn't inerrant and is at times irrelevant. inerrant, means is, is free from all error, okay? What is the point of claiming parts? these are the questions, of a faith but not all of it You can't go by part of it. The Bible is true from Old Testament to New Testament. As far as you're talking about that's over and that's past, no. The New Testament confirms what was written in the Old Testament. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. If the Bible is insufficient and perfect, why pick parts of it to follow? (laughs) See, that's a good comeback from some of these people, okay? What What does God's love mean? And the uh, gospel remedy is God's love is demonstrated in his giving of his own son to die for the payment of our sins. Scripture is sufficient. Holiness, holiness, holiness matters. Okay? Uh, now, the last one is the Bible Belt Christian. We fall under that, too. The profile is displays external forms of rig- religiosity and would be offended to be called an atheist, but in actuality, Jesus has little impact on their lives, which makes you an atheist. (laughs) Uh, They're they're mistaking gospel familiarity with scripture, religious heritage. So the more scripture you can recite, the louder you can yell makes you A Christian, false. Now what are the gospel questions? What are you hesitant to surrender? What are you afraid to lose? What do you think is the result of choosing lifestyle over God? And the remedy is obedience is the pathway to joy. Now you see the remedy is always scriptural, just like when Jesus was in the wilderness and was tempted by Satan, he came back with a scriptural to come against Satan. Not with his own opinion, he came back with a scriptural reference, okay? Obedience is the pathway to joy. Clinging to sin without repentance here means forfeiting, forfeiting unity with God here and in the next life. Holiness is for our good. Amen? I'm not going to read this whole chapter one but I'm gonna get it started just to give you some thoughts. Let me tell you something uh, before I go any further with this. R- the problem with Americans is that we're lazy and we don't want to read. We just want to feel good. So you know it feels a whole lot better if I could stand up here and perform for you. But we're gonna read and acquire some knowledge and, qu- and acquire some wisdom so don't make any difference who's standing before you. You're gonna feel good because Jesus is in you, but you'll be able to discern if that's the person that needs to be standing before you, telling you about Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. So chapter one, help them get lost. The case for reaching culture Christians, and this comes from this little statement up under here comes from S- Sinclair Ferguson. Thinking that I deserve heaven is a sure sign I have no understanding of the gospel. Okay, I'm going to read that again. I see some puzzled looks. (laughs) Thinking that I deserve heaven is a sure sign I have no understanding of the gospel. We deserve hell. We deserve the cross. But grace, hallelujah, Jesus, and the blood (coughs) afford us not to reap what we deserve, but to get the blessing. Okay? Okay. See, that's our problem. We were born selfish. Every last living soul was born selfish, and therefore we feel entitled and we think we deserve this. We—that's de- why you think you deserve to be happy. When you find out about what you were, what, what you were put here for, and what you really deserve, you will appreciate whatever is going on, and thank God for the greater. Yeah. Amen. Because <clears throat> until we become humble and grateful obedient and walk in faith, you're not gonna get what you think you deserve anyway. If there is such a thing as missional insecurity, I have felt it. It's that feeling you have in college when your friend spent spring break serving in a Haitian orphanage while you drove to the beach. My most vivid experience of this insecurity came while moving out of my seminary apartment I was loading up to make the drive back to my hometown of Tallahassee, where I would begin local church pastoral ministry. I was excited to be heading home until I saw my neighbor from my seminary apartment complex, Matt. He was moving to Northern California to join the staff of a local church. Great, I thought. There is Matt packing up his family and entire life to move to one of the most secularized regions in America. I am going back home where I will have 10 miles from the Georgia state line and less than an hour from Alabama. He's going on mission. I'm heading to the Bible Belt. I felt like I was taking the easy road and Matt was taking the courageous one leading his family to an area where preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ would be just barely harder than finding a Republican. I was heading to the land of a monogram. I wanted to say something spiritual to make myself feel better. With the, while, with the standard one arm man hug, I said, I really admire what you're doing and will pray for you as you head to an area with such an important Great Commission need. Matt's reply was not what I was expecting. Whatever he said, doing the required pat on the back, doing our man hug, the Bible Belt is the most difficult place in America to pastor a local church. (laughs) I was stunned. He must have sensed my confusion because he explained further. As he did, I had a serious epiphany. I believe the Lord knew what I needed to hear in that moment and it changed my perspective forever on my role as a pastor and the part of the country where I lived and minister. In California, Matt said, there is rarely confusion, either you're a Christian or you're not. In the Bible Belt, many people think they're Christians but have no concept of the severity of sin, necessity of repentance, message of grace, and the overall message of the gospel. They think they're just fine with God, and God is fine with them because they aren't atheists and have been to church before as a kid. It's almost like you have to help them get lost so they, they can actually be saved. They believe in God but do not believe their sin has done anything to separate them from him or cause them to need the Jesus they claim to believe in. You have to get them lost before they can actually be saved. People are too quick to claim something is life-changing, and I'd done that myself about a new flavor of Bible Bell ice cream or, or some Kansas City barbecue, but from a ministry perspective, this really was the moment for me. The reality of Matt's description of my hometown created a missional urgency rather than missional insecurity since that parking lot conversation i moved back home just south of the georgia line to plant a church among people with southern accents who never miss vacation bible school as kids and now drop their own kids off several weeks of the summer to different bible bible studies programs across town whereas church familiarity is a rarity where Matt is people back home will dress up to go to church on Easter Sunday while having no concept of why that holiday even matters on Monday morning. Since that conversation in our seminary apartment parking lot have also come to realize that the spiritual landscape Matt was describing is not unique to the South. What he was describing was culture Christianity a religion that I believe is practiced by more Americans than any other faith or religion. Its participants can be found in Catholic or Pentecostal churches in the South and Midwest, on high school football fields, at patriotic celebrations and around family dinner tables. It looks and sounds very Christian on the surface, but is merely Christian by culture rather than conviction. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not part of the equation. The people who practice cultural Christianity are not atheists or agnostic. In fact, cultural Christians would be offended if described with such labels. These are not the urban academics living in loft apartments who could articulate their opposition to Christian beliefs. These are the suburban, cul-de-sac folks hosting a cookout to watch the game. They believe in God. They take seriously their Christian traditions. Prayer in school, nativity sings, and Linus reciting the story of the birth of Christ doing a Charlie Brown Christmas. What is wrong with being a monotheistic who loves Charlie Brown and believes Jesus was born in a manger? Nothing if it leads to gospel belief and practice. But the difficulty comes when we examine exactly who their God is and question why the coming of Jesus even matters. Culture Christianity admires Jesus but doesn't really think he is needed except to take the wheel in a moment of crisis. Only when you have a 911 situation. The Jesus of cultural Christianity is a type of historical imaginary friend with some magic powers for good luck and sentimentality. Amazing Grace is a song known from memory, but why that grace is amazing cannot be explained. The God of cultural Christianity is the big man upstairs and whether or not he is holy and people have sinned against him is irrelevant. Words such as hope, faith, and believe hang on the walls of living rooms as decoration, but the actual words of God only come around when Psalms 23 is read at a loved one's funeral. Cultural Christianity admires Jesus, but doesn't really think he is needed except to take the will in a moment of crisis. Religious, but not saved. It is well documented that those who claim no religious affiliation called the knowns are on the rise. Between 2007 and 2014, the group of people self-identifying as having no religious affiliation jumped from 16.1 to 22.8% of the American population. This coincides with a decline in people identifying as Christians, although there is reason to believe this is really just a refinement process and not a sign of bleeding in the actual Christian demographic. As the social cost of Christianity increase, those with only nominal beliefs, excuse me, are falling away. According to a study of the U.S. adults 80% 80% of those polled believed in God, but only 56% believed in God as described in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Considering the fact that approximately 70% of the, U- the U.S. population still identifies as Christians, we have a large group of people that would likely be overlooked in outreach or missions. With this in mind, I believe cultural Christianity is the most underrated mission field in America, where there is evidence that nominal Christianity is declining on its own. It is of utmost importance that we minister to those on the fence in hopes that they may end up within the fold and not without. I'm gonna stop there. I'm sure you are aware and heard the stats about how Christianity has fallen. Okay. There are not that as many confessing Christians as we used to hear about. Praise the Lord. Okay, I'm gonna do the um, do the benediction. Okay, and, and, and to kind of bless some of the wounds that you're feeling right now, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna do this benediction. <laughs> you have to get the podcast elder to see where I'm talking about, okay. <laughs> I'm gonna give you the priestly blessing. <laughs> the Lord bless you. May Yahweh, he who exists, kneel before you, making himself available to you as your heavenly father so he can bestow upon you his promises and gifts, and keep you and guard you with a hedge of thorny protection that will prevent Satan and all of your enemies from harming you. May he protect your body, soul, mind, and spirit, your loved ones, and all your possessions. The Lord make his face shine upon you. May Yahweh, he who exists, illuminate the wholeness of his being toward you, continually bring into you order so that you will fulfill your God-given destiny and purpose. And be gracious to you. May Yahweh, he who exists, provide you with perfect love and fellowship, never leaving you and give you sustenance, provision, and friendship. The Lord lift up his countenance on you. May Yahweh, he who exists, lift up and carry his fullness of being toward you, bringing everything that he has to your aid, supporting you with his divine embrace and his entire being, and give you peace may yahweh he who exists set in place all you need to be whole and complete so you can walk in victory moment by moment by the power of the holy spirit may he give you supernatural health peace welfare safety soundness tranquility prosperity perfection fullness rest harmony as well as the absence of agitation and discord And may you have traveling mercies when you leave here, and when you do, tell somebody about Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.